This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hello there and welcome to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. It is a Tuesday, 14th of November and a very, very busy day. Going to kick off with some of our top stories. Aviation, of course, that blockbuster deal from Emirates, $52 billion and Earnings season, Salic results, among others. Then what have we got for you? Well, our extended interview in full with the president of Emirates Airlines, Sir Tim Clark, talking about everything from that big order, profitability, hitting a record, and also a new range of luggage that they've made from recycled A380s. Then we do a deep dive on earnings season. Today, 14th of November, is the final day for UAE companies to report. Fahim Aziz is the chief executive officer of Safa Capital. Finally, talking taxation. Finally, Shiraz Khan, head of taxation at Altamimi, UAE Ministry of Finance, has announced new corporate tax decisions for companies, particularly in free zones. All that to come. First up, though, let's jump straight into those top stories. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Flicking through the international newspapers first up, Tom, planes and stuff. It's just, I mean, I'm just flicking through all the local newspapers uh, and news sites at the moment, and no big surprise that it's aviation that is uh, bossing the business pages this morning. Uh, strong travel demand pushing that Air Arabia uh, to Q3 profits, uh, profits at the moment. Emirates with that whopping uh, order uh, early doors. We were promised, weren't we, big news coming through from Emirates. I don't think anyone expected it to be $52 billion worth of big news. Um, you've got Riyadh Air revealing its plans for narrowbody orders. They also released, released their uh, double logos or double uh, liveries, if you like, yesterday. So you don't have to go far to find big news coming out of the air show. And the worry, this is day one. It's five days of this. <laughs> I mean, is there not something for sort of holding back a little bit of news? Because we <laughs> seem to have had a lot of the billion, uh, billion dollar announcements in the first 24 hours. Do you know my thought thinking, looking yesterday at that massive Emirates deal uh, and the massive Fly Dubai deal, and we pretty much know that there's going to be a Riyadh Air and a Turkish to follow. Mm. I felt sorry for the smaller guys buying planes who, I think, was it Jordan, uh, Jordanian Airlines yesterday who bought four, Egyptian Airlines bought a bunch. They're still spending millions and billions of dollars. But no, they're just not getting the attention. <laughs> yeah, they still come with checkbook and things like that. Yeah, they're and it's a huge deal. A huge deal big. for them. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, as you say, a game changer for their, for their operations and uh, the expansion of those operations. And yet, no, you've got the big guns coming in and basically stealing all the headlines yet again. But it is just, you know, it's Tuesday. Uh, there's five days of this. How on earth do you keep up the momentum? Unless they've got somewhere to be by the end of the week and therefore just getting the deals done in the first couple of days. Well, look, it is true that the first two days of the air show are the big deal announcing days. And I don't know if that means that by day five, everyone's announcing a bulk order for like mini cans of of Diet Coke. Um, Maybe, maybe not. Uh, In fact, one of the things I want to ask Mr. Boeing this morning while we've got him on the line is... Because the rumour is always that these things are sewn up in advance, aren't they? And they're already signed and you're just announcing them. How close to the wire does it actually go? Is this all done and dusted before you even put the CEO on a plane? 
Or are people still trying to get stuff over the line um, and maybe the airlines using that pressure as a bit of leverage before you announce? I you do see, want I, to know. I always thought it was just completely choreographed <laughs> and it was just a publicity stunt until there was the, the A380 deal that didn't happen at the air show. Was it two years ago or four years ago? And everyone expected, and all the rumours were, you know, Bloomberg and Reuters, Emirates expected to announce a deal for m- more A380s. And the air show went on and the negotiations happened and we did not get a deal. It was no deal. And that's what kiboshed the entire A380 programme. And, and that's what kind of burst my bubble in thinking, this is all planned out weeks in advance. Because, you know, we know it when you go to like G20 summits and stuff like that, or if there's a state visit by Narendra Modi to the UAE, there's going to be X billion dollars worth of deals announced. They were done anyway, months before. And that's fine. And we, we, we know the game. We know how that's how it works. But I genuinely think, to use your phrase, Brandy, sometimes, not often, but sometimes, they do go down to the wire. Well, you'd have a lot of leverage, wouldn't you, if you were the people buying the planes? Oh, you know, if, and we know that the, the price that's announced is the list price and that discounts will apply to Emirates deal, for example. But do you then use the fact that the press is sitting out there, you know, the mics are lined up to say, actually, I think you can do better than that? Hmm. We'd like you to throw in a small bag of toiletries as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, is, there is no doubting that... Um, well, if you're looking for winners on day one, it's good to... And there was chat, wasn't there, coming into this air show this year that there would be a little bit of horse trading. Uh, obviously, a lot of competition here amongst the major airlines across the region at the whole. Were Riyadh going to steal the thunder on day one, etc.? That wasn't the case. It was Emirates, you know, home, home, home favourite, laying down the line straight away with, with some of the big announcements right from the off. And the other big winner, I'd say, from day one is um, our friends at Boeing as well. Not much mention of their near competitor yesterday, was there? No, and it's been very quiet on the Airbus front. However, if this Turkish deal um, gets over the line, that could be 350 planes. Someone who is a big fan of Airbus planes is Adel Ali at Air Arabia. They've got an all Airbus fleet. We don't think he's bringing his checkbook to the Dubai Air Show this year, but we did get their earnings yesterday in terms of aviation. Brandy, you had a quick look at those, didn't you? Good, yep. bad or indifferent? The Air Arabia, look, if you're an airline at the moment, um, your numbers... Well, I say that there have been a couple that have not been so great, but uh, that is not Air Arabia. It was a record profit for the third quarter to the point that records are getting a little bit boring in this earnings season, are they not? Um, Really, really strong demand. So they saw their net profit for that Q3 period up 26%. Uh, The number of passengers that they carried was up by 21%. Other stories that we're looking at this morning in terms of uh, international newspapers, I've been flicking through them and picked up on a story about Salik reporting its uh, highest Q3 revenue since uh, Gates went up. But, but the profit wasn't particularly high, Brandy. Again, you've been crunching the numbers on this. It depends on what you look at. So if you take Q3 as a whole, Salik's net profit up 5-ish percent, a little bit over, revenue up by 14%. If you take the first nine months of this year, which are the earnings that come out at the same time as the Q3 earnings, um, profit revenue, by the way, rose mammothly, another nearly 15%. Uh, the profit actually fell by about 22%. And Salik has come out and said, you can't compare like for like for the nine-month period. We changed a lot as a company. It was you know, a newly listed company, so they changed uh, the way that they balanced everything, if you like, the actual um, company formation and, and the rest of it. So they said, it's not an exact 
comparison. It's, it's one for the geeks, if you like. What I'm interested in is what's happened to the number of registered vehicles driving under the Salic gates. So if we look at that nine-month period, the number of vehicles registered were up 8.8%, so nearly 9%. Um, in terms of the tag activations, so the new tags that have come online just for Q3 alone, it was up 17%, one seven year on year. Good numbers from Sally. More on those to come a little bit later on in the show. Very quickly, bizarrely, my pick of the local papers this morning is the Sydney Morning Herald, which I'm aware is on the other side of the world, but it's relevant because the headline is this, major ports around Australia back in action after a cyber attack. Sydney Morning Herald says DP World Australia's investigation and ongoing remediation work are likely to continue for some time. It's a local story because it's DP World. Cyber attack over the weekend knocked out 40% of all the container ports in Australia because that's what DP World operates but they've got them back up and running now Uh, still of course the investigation goes on the Sydney Morning Herald says it was not a ransomware attack so they're trying to figure out what happened uh, but DP World acted quickly to disconnect its ports from the internet now that meant they were effective in simple terms shut down it's more nuanced than that but there was a lot of disruption to the ports Mm. uh, but they did manage to stop the cyber attack not quite in its tracks but soon enough more on that throughout the show this morning catch up on the business headlines with the bite-sized business breakfast richard's been out and about on the dubai air show tarmac speaking to one sir tim clark the president of emirates airline who had gone shopping yesterday uh, an order for 95 Boeing aircraft, $52 billion worth of planes. It was the first major deal of the 2023 air show. And that, obviously, is where Richard started. So, Sir Tim, the roar that we can hear above the Emirates Chalet here is a 777X, and you've just bought 90 of the things. Explain. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we've, uh, as you rightly say, we've, we've ordered uh, 55 extra nines and 35 eights. Uh, it takes our order book with Boeing, including the 787s, of which we've ordered 35, uh, to 245 aircraft, in total order book. What you're seeing today is basically uh, the expansion of our network into the late part of this decade and going into the next. Uh, so you'll see expansion using these aircraft, retirement, some of the old 777s. The 380 will continue to fly through the back end of the next decade and into the early 40s. And the 350s come in next year, of which we have 50. So it's what I call the third epoch of Emirates, where post-COVID, new aircraft coming in, the network growing up by is growing almost 50 to 80% more points coming into play. Uh, New fleet, new products, both in the air and on the ground. It's a great story, and it's testament to the fact that, you know, Dubai's on a roll, so, so are we. You've had your frustrations with Boeing over delays to the 777X programme. What gives you confidence that they can deliver this big order? Well, you're right, we've had delays. We should have had the first aircraft in April 2020. We're now um, in 2023. We get the first aircraft actually in October 25. So she's five and a half years late. In that time, Boeing have been to burning hoops on this programme, on other programmes. And what they've actually done is they've eventually got their act together. So the airframe is in good shape now. The engines, they've had an awful lot of time to develop those. So I'm now confident that by October 25, when we bring her into service, that the aircraft will work in, in uh, really well. 
You've been speaking in glowing terms lately about the A380, uh, the, the great job it's doing at the moment with capacity or with demand ramping up. Uh, what, how did you describe it? Like a vi- Dyson vacuum cleaner just yeah. hoovering up people. Yeah. Uh, no way that a program like that can continue, though, with only Emirates as an anchor customer. I guess. No, it's, it's, it's been terminated already. And uh, so what you see out there with our 116 380s, we will continue to fly as long as we possible. We can. And that'll go into, as I said, the back end of the 30s and into the early 40s. After that, I'm afraid the era of the double-decker and the 380 and all these wonderful, highly popular products will have gone. Unless, unless I can persuade the manufacturers, and I'm on a mission to try and do that, to build another one which has the emissions footprint, the profitability footprint, uh, which are so much greater for profits and for emissions far, far less. So with the new type of engine that is under development at the moment, moment, which could come in in the next 15 years, we can probably take about 25% of the operating costs and fuel burn of this current 380 onto a new one. However, that will probably take about $30 billion of somebody's money. And at the moment, they're not really up for it. In terms of becoming more fuel efficient, these new planes obviously much more fuel efficient. That's one way to reduce your carbon footprint. We've got COP28 just around the corner. A lot of talk about sustainable aviation fuel or SAF, but there's not much of it and it's not cheap. You're absolutely right. And I, I'm always a little bit wary about over-promising what you can. We know we can fly these aircraft with SAF. We've done it. We are signing up, as Emirates is uh, signing up to supply of SAF. But the harsh reality is that if you can get 10% by 2030, today we, we burn 550 million tons a year in the aviation industry. If you can get 50 million tons in six or seven years, it's not really going to cut it in the long term. We've got to do better than that. Um, so either you up, up, upgrade your capability and operationalize that scalability on biomass, or you find other sorts of feedstock, or you work heavily in trying to get the new technologies, synthetic uh, uh, fuels to power the aircraft in the future. That's a big ask. It's a long haul and it's very expensive. And that in itself requires huge amounts of power, which can only really come from nuclear. And this is the, the conundrum we find ourselves in. Um, but in the end, if you're really going to go for hydrogen, you're going power to liquid, you need enormous amount of power to do that. In terms of landing slots, as you expand the network, Many of them are in strong demand, as you well know, Heathrow in particular, but others as well. And then you've got the aeropolitics of India and getting slots there. And now you've got Riyadh Air parked here. They want those landing slots as, as well. How are you going to get those slots? Well, we have a lot already, don't forget. We've been on this for the last 38 years. So we, we are in a, in, a, in a strong position. That's not to say that we couldn't do with more. Uh, but to the point I've been making to the manufacturers as regard to the 380s demise... With, without a second runway at Heathrow, uh, a third runway at Heathrow, without an improvement in JFK, without an improvement in Sydney, without, I can name them all. If you roll forward, demand as it is, and take these big quads out of the, out of the mix, you're in, you're in serious trouble. That'll only mean shortage of supply, uh, prices will go up. Um, I, I think that's in, inevitable. Uh, airports are not expanding or investing at the pace, certainly we do in the, in the, in the fleet. And at the end of it, I see difficulties with slots. They'll become extremely precious, particularly in the, the major hubs. Um, 
and there will be a, a race now to get as many into the bank as they can. You mentioned Riyadh, you mentioned what well, Turkish, of course, is expanding. Lots of others are trying to get it. You will see also a push into the second and third level airports. And some of these modern jets can have got great short haul performance capability. So eventually they will have to be exercised to meet the demands of what is going to come. The global demand for air travel is not going to stop. Whatever anybody hopes might happen in the, in the environmental world, it's going to continue to grow. The global economy, the global uh, population growth is continuing to grow. People are coming into the market. They're very aspirational. They want a piece of what their predecessors have had and, and more so. So you're right. The restriction of airport capacity, the restriction of landing slots, the growth in the aspirations of many carriers. You mentioned India. So we have a new Air India. We have a, 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 an Indigo. We have, I can name them all, all trying to go in the same place. At the moment, we've got quite a few slots which we will intelligently use going forward. Can we talk about profitability? A subject mm -hmm. I'm sure that's been a, a source of um, some celebration at Emirates HQ over the past few days. Record profits, we yeah. know. Um, I was doing back of an envelope maths, always dangerous when a journalist does that, but uh, I figured that your profit margin was about 16.16% for the half that you just announced. Willie Walsh. Um, is excited that, from IATA, is excited that the industry might get 1.2% profit yeah. margin. So I've had a couple of questions from our mm -hmm. listeners, if I can throw them at you. So Tim, uh, Tahir wrote in saying, how did you achieve this? And Nabil write in saying, could you pass on some of this profit to your loyal customers? <laughs> well, uh, in answer to the um, second question first, um, the, look, we have a fleet of aircraft, 259, which are flying flat out at the moment. They're flying at, uh, in fact, the, um, the head of commercial told me today, we're, we've dropped a, a few points of seat factors. What's the problem? It's 77%. So nearly 80% of all the seats we sell today, notwithstanding all the politics and the geopolitics of the region today, are full. Um, so, look, what we're trying to do is go after the products that we, we, we offer. We're not necessarily going to say we're going to reduce all the fares because we've made so much profit, because in the end it's supply and demand. We've had many years, lean years, and these are probably some of the best. Will they go on forever? I don't know. But what we are doing is taking a lot of that profit and plowing it back into the business. You, this fleet order is $52 billion. The amount of money we're spending in the in-flight product and on the ground with regard to the uh, things like biometrics, technologies, this is all going to make the value for money offering better. Um, and you'll see that as we work through premium economy, as we work through the two, two and a half billion dollars we're spending of our own cash on gutting all the old airplanes and putting the new products in. It's more of the same. Nobody's going to be happy about that because unless you get, if anybody has to pay a Durham for seat, that's a problem. So, you know, free travel would be the best way to travel. Of course it would. We'd all be very happy. I've got to make a margin um, and the shareholder requires that margin. So. Back to the first question, just how do we do it? Well, listen, we got ourselves into position in the early part of 21. We reactivated the fleet. We reactivated our, our crews, got everybody back, got things going. And we were one of the first movers to move. In terms of scale of international airlines, we were the biggest and fastest moving to get those 380s up in there, etc. We captured a lot of the business. Outside that today, we still see areas where capacity hasn't gone back to where it used to be. 
in the East, certain amount in Europe and Africa. And we have worked the aircraft up to 14 hours a day, which is very high utilization for a 380 and a 777, given the number of cycles we do, six hours a day, six cycles, six hours to each cycle. So the work rate has gone up. The, um, the, we've got into a very sophisticated hedging program, both on fuel, on currencies, on everything else. Our costs never went back to where they were prior to COVID. We set ourselves a benchmark of not going above 75% of our overhead costs, our sunk costs, uh, and we've, we've kept to that. Uh, we're a leaner, we're more efficient. Uh, we're spending more at the front end of the business, stripping out a lot of the costs at the back end. Um, but, you know, uh, the, things like the Skywiz program, our loyalty program, we're putting more into that. We're trying to, add, and we, we're now one of the most generous uh, programs. I, I kind of line these up regularly because I'm on the BA scheme and look what everybody is offering and how they get into what the entitlements are. It's a good story. Emirates is basically a good story and product. We don't get it right all the time. Goodness me, we're carrying nearly 200,000 people a day on the network and that's difficult to please people all of the time. But most of the time, I'm, somebody showed me a video today taken of our 380 going to Sao Paulo yesterday. And it was, somebody had a guitar in the bar at the back <laughs> of the 380. And there was this great sing-song going and people dancing. And the crew had to deal with some very irate business class passengers who actually tried to sleep because the noise was so great. But that is what we're known for. It's, it's a fun product. Uh, people really enjoy coming on us. And I think we do give value for money. Um, and notwithstanding what happens to the price points in the future, we can never be sure. Our product will always be out there. It, it defines us. And a lot of people coming to market now look at what we're doing and try to emulate it or improve on it, leapfrog us. Uh, we have no problem with that because our fingerprints are everywhere. Um, so if they want to take us on, good luck, no problem. Uh, two very quickly, two final questions, if I may. I just bumped into Gaethel Gates from Fly Dubai walking in here. He's bought some 787 Dreamliners today. You also have 787 Dreamliners. You're now buying the same aircraft. The lines appear to be coming ever more blurred between the two of you. How's the future of that relationship well, going forward? Well, you know, I think this is the most potent thing we've got going forward. If the government decides to construct the new field here in, in, uh, in Al Maktoum, where we're sitting today, the combined power of Fly Dubai and Emirates working as one, uh, both with the single aisle and now they've, they've gone into the uh, twin aisle product, will be formidable, absolutely formidable. Um, so I, I think it was only a question of time before they went into the wide body market. Clearly, they've got a lot of routes today that, that need it, uh, routes that we don't fly to. And uh, I think as they exercise the network growth, the fleet growth, et cetera, et cetera, it'll be great for Dubai, be great for the new airport, great for all of us, actually. I'm very confident it'll work well. You, you've talked about early 2030s, maybe a, a move up here. I think you were quoted as saying, watch this space. Mm. I'm watching. Mm. Any updates? Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm always optimistic. I think the government are minded to do it. I think they understand... Um, exactly why we've been recommended we do it. I don't think there's anybody in Dubai today, given Dubai 33, possibly even Dubai 43 coming, and looking at the rate of growth of Dubai and how dependent it is on the aviation sector. It's not lost on them that if you're going to take this forward over the next 50 years, then you really need to underpin your, your access point, your access pillar 
um, by doing the right thing here. So I think that's that's. Um, I don't think it's far away. I hope it's not far away. Uh, may I finish with one last mm. question? And my colleague Brandy Scott will not forgive me mm. if I do not ask it. We are so excited about the recycled and repurposed luggage yes. from Emirates. When's it coming yeah. out? When can we get our hands well, on I, this? I, I think it's imminent. I, I was shown the prototypes not so long ago. I said, get it on the website, get it out there. We've got some, some on display here. <laughs> it's a really, it's really uh, an interesting repurposing of all the stuff that we're taking out of the 380s. Some of it is perfectly all right. It's just we have to change colors. And so putting them into wheelie bags, into bags and all sorts of things, it's, uh, it's something really uh, very interesting. I'm not sure we're going to make heaps of money out of it, but hey-ho, it's good crack and everybody loves it. So, Tim, thank you. You're welcome. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Busy week for us with all things aviation. Busy week as well. Q3 earnings coming out. Bigger focus now with Brandy. Yeah, we are looking at one of Richard's favourite days of the year. He likes a deadline, journalist to the last. And today is the last day that listed companies on the DFM can post their Q3 results. Most have already done so, so we're going to look not so much at the numbers, but at the bigger picture of what we can take about the health of the Dubai economy as a whole and some of the trends within it with one market watcher. I'm very pleased to be joined now by Fahim Aziz. He's the Chief Executive Officer of Safa Capital. Fahim, thanks for coming down and joining us. Thank you for having me again. Before we dig into the individual earnings... It seems like we've seen a lot of strong numbers for this earnings season. What's the general theme? So I think there, there, there's been a year on year, a lot of improvements, uh, 10%, 48% in some, some, some companies across all of the, the markets uh, and across all of the, the companies themselves. I think what's, what's really interesting is, is how Dubai has really positioned itself and taken advantage of the last year going on the back of last, of the previous year where there was a lot of uncertainty both in terms of high inflation, high interest rates and how Dubai has really sort of uh, flourished on the backdrop of that. Okay, well let's have a look at one of the companies whose numbers came out yesterday. That is Salik. Um, net profit up about 5% for the first quarter, falling actually for the nine months but that's because they changed the way that the company was measured, if you like, as they yep. pointed out. It's not like for like but an awful lot of data in there about the number of trips and the revenue generated by the toll gates which can tell us more than just what's happening to Salik. look i think i think what we what we know and what we feel i mean living in dubai you can see that there's some real demographic changes that are happening in terms of the surge in numbers you know there's a 40 percent increase in the number of visitors year on year that have come to dubai and i think you know that has really sort of uh, you can see that sort of going through in terms of the different trips. I mean, the 110 million, I think, different trips that have happened. Um, and, I, and that's not going to stop anytime soon. You know, currently the population of Dubai, I think, is what, 3.6 million. 2040 is going to go up to 5.8 million. So, there's, so this company is very much on a, on a growth path going, going upwards and, and really going to take advantage of, of the, the enabling environment and the safe environment that Dubai has. And, and as Dubai becomes more, not just of a regional hub, but a global hub, you're going to find more and more people coming to live here. And you can see that in terms of, uh, let's say, on the crypto side, where you know, Dubai is increasingly becoming a home for the crypto refugees, and I don't mean them coming on the boats, uh, you know, where Dubai has sort of shown itself to be a place with good laws, good regulations and laws, where DIFC recently 
brought out the, the virtual asset laws. And so as, as Dubai becomes a home for that, that big knowledge economy, uh, I think the, the, those trips are going to increase. And, and I think also, you know, when you look at Emirates Airlines and how they're sort of looking at the future as well, uh, with, with, with the announcements that came out today, uh, clearly there's going to be a lot more people coming and Salik is going to be at the forefront of taking advantage of that. And you can see that also in Diwa as well and some of the results in Diwa. Uh, you know, as, mo- as more people come here, as more people live here, uh, you know, companies such as Diwa and Salik, which sort of very much sort of look on the back of the demographic advantages that come, are really going to carry on flourishing. Now we've got Salik saying that they expect for the full year the number of uh, revenue generating trips going under the toll gates uh, to come in at about 9 to 10% up yeah. uh, where they were last year. Let's stay with Diwa for a little bit longer because it's not just population that Diwa can tell us about when we're looking at power demand and, and water demand but it's also business and industry isn't it yeah so i mean as more as more companies come here uh you know obviously they they, they need that water electricity and dealer obviously is, is 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 a beneficiary of that uh also you look at the let's say the email numbers you know 25 uh, percent increase and 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 as as more developments happen here you know you can see that as as the sort of those 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 new developments start coming on on, on stream uh, the demand for Diva, uh, Diva services and are, are increasingly going to become sought after. And, and again, they are also on a, a very much a growth path. Yeah, let me have a look actually at the Diwa numbers. Electricity demand up by just under 6.5%, water demand by just uh, under 6%. Let's talk about the telcos, if you like. Do maybe a little bit more reflective of the, the UAE market than a Tislet, because a Tislet, obviously, uh, their numbers also go further afield. Yeah, I mean, Etisalat is an interesting company in itself because, you know, Etisalat is, or E-and, I think they like to be called yep. now, uh, they, they are transforming themselves from a telco to a technology company. Uh, and they're looking at very much long-term shareholder value uh, with their acquisitions or, and investments into Stars Play, the Kareem Super App, more recently Beehive, and also their investment into Eastern Europe, which is really sort of positioning themselves and maybe even UAE to to really get the peace dividend when when the, the the conflict in Eastern Europe sort of resolves itself, and so I think you know looking at looking at how they position themselves in that way, and also looking at how they how they position themselves in terms of short term profits as well, um, and and their the huge investment into AI, uh, which is really going to bring operational efficiencies, and I think also the the I think the uh, uh, Etisla and I think Axia as well was quite interesting, in terms of their emphasis on ESG. Um, and and how that has a statistical change in terms, a significant change in terms of the EBITDA multiples and the increase in valuations. Uh, Deloitte did a report recently that the cost of doing that is really sort of out, outperforms the, the 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 benefits that you get. Um, and as as we come closer to COP28, you're going to find a lot more people looking at that. Are investors tolerant of the the charges that come with those ESG changes on the balance sheet while the company are making those shifts? I think there's a lot of green premium uh, in those in those stocks, um, and I think that the companies that have a very much a long term view of of the benefits of these things will will reap those 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 rewards. Now, you know, ESG is not just about green, but it's around uh, making sure that you have the right environment to bring in the right talent. Um, and as you within the region, there's going to be increasingly 
competition for talent as as obviously Saudi Saudi comes come comes through. Um, and so you know companies that are have good co- corporate governance, good diversity, uh, and these sort of things are also increasingly becoming important for a lot of people. And those are reflected uh, in 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 the the valuation of companies. And as people become increasingly recognised these 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 metrics, uh, they they will be reflected in that. And that will obviously bring in the investors as well. One minute left with you. A lot of the companies that have been reporting, Salix one of them, are fairly new to the uh, to the reporting game. How happy are investors going to be with the numbers that they have seen from these newly listed companies and what could that mean for the IPOs to come? In terms of Salix, obviously the, the, the numbers and the, and the growth of the company I think is there. Uh, uh, Al Ansari wasn't, wasn't really that, the numbers there weren't, weren't, weren't great. Uh, but I think that the overall the, the companies, uh, the investors will be very happy. And new 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 listings are coming. I think Lulu is coming. Uh, we're, we're we're getting to Bizzle. So these are going to be less emphasis on the on the utilities and and, and the government entities. We're going to see more private IPOs. Fahim Aziz is the Chief Executive Officer of Safa Capital, speaking to us on the last reporting day for companies who are listed on the DFM to get their Q3 numbers in. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Let's talk tax, if we can, uh, because we've teamed up the team from VirtuZone uh, to shine a light on uh, some of our tax responsibilities and making us tax ready uh, for the developments and the move towards uh, taxation here uh, in various angles. The UA Minister of Finance at the beginning of the month announcing new corporate tax decisions for companies in free zones as it seeks to standardise regulations with international frameworks. Uh, We've had the opportunity in the last couple of weeks to go through more of that small print. I say we, well, one man in particular, uh, the head of taxation at Al Tamimi & Co. Shiraz Khan, who's been kind enough to join us live on Microsoft Teams this morning. Uh, Good morning, Shiraz. Thank you so much indeed for your time. So, I mean, again... Been forewarned about the new uh, tax responsibilities here. To your understanding, to your mind, what's the biggest misconception out there in the market at the moment? There's actually a, a lot of misconceptions. Uh, you mentioned the free zone rules. Uh, there are some companies still out there that think that because there's a tax holiday, tax exemption, or a guaranteed 0% tax rate, that they will not have to pay tax if they're in a free zone. But of course, the reality is a lot different. Uh, that not all free zones companies will qualify. There are special rules for free zones and there is a 0% available, but only under specific conditions and in narrow circumstances which have to apply. How then do you work out which free zone companies uh, are exempt and those that are not? What's the easiest way to do that? You have to review the the new free zone cabinet decision and also ministerial resolution and uh, the ones that were issued recently were actually new. Uh, it was a new cabinet decision and ministerial resolution, which re- repealed and replaced the previous version, which was issued several months ago. So those people that are relying on the old version, those are now out of date. Uh, th- there haven't been too many changes. I guess there's some new activities which have been included, which benefit from zero percent. And also there's a lot of additional clarification. But going back to your question, the the starting point is reviewing these and trying to understand uh, whether you will benefit or not. And most importantly, it depends on essentially who you're contracting with 
and what type of income you're generating and also whether you meet certain requirements. So, for example, you have to have sufficient substance in the free zone. Uh, you have to comply with transfer pricing requirements. You have to make sure that you uh, undertake an audit of your financials, uh, among several other things. So there are there is things to be done uh, in order for you to understand whether you qualify for zero percent or not. Shiraz, we've just been talking there about some of the misconceptions. What about some of the mistakes uh, that organisations, companies and individuals are making at the moment when it comes to their tax obligations? I think corporate tax at the moment applies to very few companies. To most of them, it will apply from the 1st of January. Um, I think what some of the businesses are doing, that they're taking a little bit longer to really understand the impact and they're taking it quite lightly. Uh, my message would be that, of course, the introduction of corporate tax is a significant change, one of the biggest changes to the legal and tax landscape in the Middle East and the UAE. Uh, so it's important to really understand you know, what their obligations are and how they're impacted, uh, which will allow them to better prepare you know, and work out what they're doing right now, which needs to be addressed in terms of helping them comply with the tax obligations and also whether they can do things more efficiently. And this, of course, requires early preparation. Um, you cannot start after the, your first year is already subject to corporate tax. So you have to do that work now in order to be compliant. Sure, a lot of companies also looking at their sort of, you know, the flags that they trade under at the moment um, with the question mark about taxation of foreign countries operating here in the UAE. Again, is this something that needs to be clarified? If you're of the opinion that you are running a satellite office here for a British company based out of the UAE, are you therefore tax compliant? It depends exactly what you're doing as a non-resident. So I think the first thing is that you have to look at whether the company's resident in the UAE at all. So you may have a foreign company and you may have some decision makers here. For most companies, that's the board of directors. Uh, and if the decision making takes place in the UAE at the highest level, even if the company is incorporated overseas, the company will be considered as effectively managed in the UAE, which would mean that it's taxable in the UAE on worldwide income. Uh, so this is in terms of residency. Now, you could have a non-resident company also taxable in the UAE. And most people will be familiar with these rules. Uh, the UAE rules are, are no different. They're aligned with uh, international rules in many, many other countries. And the taxation in the UAE depends on essentially whether there's a permanent establishment in the UAE, which in turn depends on whether you have a fixed place of business, for example, branch, office, factory, uh, and otherwise if you're doing business through an agent who's a dependent agent who habitually exercises the authority to conclude contracts on your behalf. And other than that, I think the UAE also has a, a concept of nexus. So if you have nexus with the UAE, uh, then you'll be considered to also have a permanent establishment. And you would have a nexus if you generate income from real estate in the UAE. Now, what's different between residency and uh, taxation through a permanent establishment or nexus is that in the case of being resident in the UAE, you're taxed on a worldwide basis. But if you have a permanent establishment or nexus, you'll only be taxable in the UAE to the extent of that permanent establishment or to the extent of the nexus. Appreciate your time this morning. A lot clearer. Thanks very much indeed for that. Shiraz Khan is Head of Taxation at Al Tamimi & Co. Joining us on what is new, a regular slot here on the show as we cast an eye on all things taxation with our friends at Virtusan.
You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.